All of God's people said, praise God. Thank you. Mac Powell, my friends. Mac Powell and team. Thank you. May the joy of Christ fill your homes and your hearts as we celebrate His birth. One of the things I attempt to do this Christmas celebration is to kind of take you back to basics. And one of the classic definition of a paradox is as follows. An apparent contradiction, which in reality conceal a profound truth. Apparent contradiction, which is in reality conceal a marvelous and valuable truth. Well, just before you panic, this is not an English class. This is Christianity 101. And the Bible is filled with paradoxes. The Christian faith is a faith, is a paradoxical faith. In other religions, you don't have any of these paradoxes. I know just about all of them. <laughs> you have some four rules or five things you do or ten steps for this and that and the other thing. The Christian faith says, believe the unbelievable. That's a paradox. And in dealing with academicians, which I've done for over a decade, and pseudo-intellectuals, because that's really what they are, uh, thank God He delivered me from that. I couldn't… I, I, now, those of you who may be professors, uh, forgive me, okay? I don't mean to insult you, but it was just not for me. I am not on the one hand and on the other. <laughs> I walk straight line. Anyone wants to get on board, fine. <laughs> but that doesn't go well in academia. Having dealt with academicians through the years, they are baffled by biblical paradoxes. They really are. Um, many of them, of course, refuse to accept the Christian faith because of these paradoxes. And yet, the irony is this. It is only in embracing of these paradoxes that constitute a true Christian believer. It is only in the practicing of these paradoxes that makes for a genuine Christian believer. Why do I say this? Because by accepting and practicing biblical paradoxes is a true acknowledgement, public acknowledgement of saying that God's ways are much higher than ours, that God's plans are deeper than ours, that God's ways are much greater than our mathematical formulas that God's way is beyond our control and logic. And that, my friends, constitute a willing submission to God, a joyful surrender to God, a verbal declaration that God is God and we are not. Now, how do you like them apples in an age where self-worship is the fastest-growing religion? Did you know that? Self-worship is the fastest-growing religion in America. They call it other things, but that's what it is. My goodness gracious, I met so many people in churches, professing churches, where they call themselves Christians, <laughs> but they refuse to accept and practice biblical paradoxes. 
which is a clear indication that they do not even know what the Christian faith is all about. And so I hope by the end of this, by the end of this message that you do, and all of you watching around the world, will understand what the Christian faith is all about. As I said, the Christian faith is unique in the sense there is no other religion, faith, or philosophy that enables us to see the unseen, to believe the unbelievable, to conquer only by yielding, to find rest only under the yoke of Christ, to find our power only by serving, that we are made great only when we become little that we can be exalted only if we humble ourselves, that we can be wise only when we consider ourselves to be fools for Jesus' sake, uh, that we can be made free but only by becoming bond servants of Jesus Christ, that we can uh, possess all things by having nothing, that we can get only by giving, that we wax strong by being weak, or by being triumphant only in surrender, or having victory only by acknowledging our infirmity. And my beloved friends, this is the truth of the Christian faith. Can I get an amen? Now, the mother of all paradoxes is found in the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. Here's what Jesus said. Don't ever take what I say for granted. If it's not in the Scripture, throw it out, okay? Here's what Jesus said. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's the mother of all paradoxes. That's not what the world tells you. It's the exact opposite. You cannot find this in any religion or any philosophy or any kind of way of life, because only the Christian faith is the truth. And why I say this? Because the Christian faith is built on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, not on dogma, not on church doctrine, not on uh, and rituals, not on being church hierarchy. No, it's based and built on one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the full truth. Now, those of us who love and embrace the paradox of Christmas, those of us who believe that God, the Creator God, became man, can only truly rejoice at Christmas time. Let me give you a quick historical background in why I'm saying this and why I'm talking about the paradox of, Christ, of Christmas. Our Lord Jesus Christ was born during the reign of Augustus Caesar. During that time, Augustus Caesar was reigning supreme over the Roman Empire. Augustus Caesar, or Caesar Augustus, whichever way you want to pronounce it, came to power after 20 years of a dreadful civil war. Those 20 years were marked by carnage and by assassinations, and by total destruction of his enemies. 
Caesar Augustus became not only a supreme leader, an undisputed emperor, but he brought the Roman Empire prosperity and glory like never before or since. And Dr. Luke, whom you heard this morning, this today being read, Dr. Luke, remember, he is a physician. He is a scientist, and he has a meticulous mind. When you read his gospel, it is so take care of the minutest details. He is very careful in documenting all the evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly life. He's very careful with details. So he wanted us to know that his account of the birth of Jesus must be understood in contrast uh, to the worldly powers of Augustus Caesar. He's contrasting those two. And while the whole world is bowing to Caesar, God appeared in human flesh in an obscure place. While the world was in bondage to Caesar, God appeared uh, as a weak, helpless babe in Bethlehem. The contrast between the two is inescapable. It's inescapable. You, you, can, you, can, you cannot miss it. One at the height of power, the other in the depth of helplessness. One is the richest man on the earth, and the other is the poorest. One is sleeping in Rome on a golden bed, and the other sleeping in a feeding trough in a manger. One living surrounded by attendants and servants, and the other surrounded by animals. One is protected by the Praetorian Guard, and the other lays helplessly in a manger. The contrast is astounding, is astounding. Question, why did Jesus, who descended from the peak of glory, and this is not a glory of an earthly land, that is the glory of the universe. Why did Jesus, who descended from the peak of glory, to this lowly position in a manger in Bethlehem of Judea? The answer is that He may raise up all of us from our lowly position of sin, guilt, and pain to His glorious height. That's the answer. The Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you become rich. Can I get an amen? Well, some of you are still awake. I think this dark thing is making you sleepy. I better put the lights on, guys. I'm, I'm watching you, but I can't see you. When he talks about making us rich, he's not talking about money. Indeed, we are rich in everything. We are spiritually rich, eternally rich. He has blessed us, as in Ephesians chapter 1 says, with every heavenly blessings, every one of them. All the blessings that God the Father has in heaven, He poured in Jesus, and we receive them in turn. The Word of God in the New Testament is very clear. Jesus underwent human birth, 
earthly birth, so that all who believe in Him alone, by faith alone, undergo heavenly birth. Jesus, for whom there was no room in the inn, promised that all who crown Him as the Lord of their life and the Master of their life and the Savior of their life will have room in His Father's mansion in heaven for eternity. Jesus became a member of the human family so that those who will love Him with all of their hearts, they become members of His heavenly family. Jesus made Himself subject to others so that He may set His subjects free from sin and death. Jesus, though being in His very nature God, the Bible said He did not count that equality with God something to grab hold of and never let go of, but He did let go of it and came as a baby for your sake and for my sake. Jesus, who had never, never, never laid down His divinity, only the splendor of His majesty, so that He may give His believers a divine nature. The Bible said we are participating in the divine nature when we come to Christ and become born again. The Bible said that when the chief shepherd appears, talking about the Lord Jesus on His second coming, which appears to me at least to be closer than we ever, ever before, when the chief shepherd appears, we who are His servants and, and beloved children will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. That's what He came to do. I often wonder uh, if I explanified myself. Is it clear to you what I'm trying to say about the paradox? Some of you nodding, others not getting it. Hello? Am I, am I clear? I'm, listen, I'm a, I'm a country boy, and I, I was a below-average student, so I don't really know how to do this. I'm going to try again. Well, let me have another shot at it, okay? You want me to try again? Let me try it again. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you saying yes. <laughs> at least one person anyway. <laughs> Jesus, who laid aside His splendor of His glory for 33 and one-third of a year, it did, He did this so that all who place their faith in Him alone for salvation will receive permanent glory that will never fade away. Jesus, who had nowhere to lay His head, He was homeless, basically. He used to spend the night in Peter's house, and this one's house, He was a homeless. Did so, so that when His believers come to Him, put their trust in Him, they will inherit His inheritance. Jesus, who was only welcomed on earth by the poor, lowly shepherds, will welcome all, all, all who have placed faith, their faith in Him alone, who are born again, who are born of the Spirit of God, will be welcomed by the angels in heaven. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus said, there is greater joy in heaven among the angels when one sinner repent. Who's the sinner? Huh? Who's the sinner? Yeah, right. That God bless you. There you. Some of you got it. That darkness is not affecting you. Who's the sinners? Every one of us. Here's the problem. <laughs> Most people say, well, I'm not a sinner. 
Are you kidding me? That's the only thing that makes me a Christian is that I confessed my sin, is that I admit that I'm a sinner. That's the difference. That's the difference. I have a, a, a wonderful Jewish neighbor whom I loved dearly. And he said to me, Michael, he said, it's too late for me. I'm a pagan. I said, Bill, I'm a pagan too. He looked at me and said, you're a man of the cloth. I said, I don't know what the cloth is, but I don't think I will put the cloth on. But listen, I said, I said the reason, the difference between us is that you're admitting you're you a heathen. I admitted I'm a heathen, but I needed a Savior, and that's what you need. That's, that's the difference. That's the difference. Am I communicating this? Is it getting any clearer now? I'm explanifying it. But let, listen, let, let me have another go at it, okay? <laughs> While the baby Jesus was pursued by an evil, ruthless King Herod, who senselessly killed all the babies, just like we're doing with 60 million babies murdered in the mother's womb by abortion in this country. Jesus Himself came from heaven to pursue the source of evil, to pursue the big kahuna Himself, Satan. Beloved, when you allow your mind to ponder these paradoxes, these paradoxes that the Scripture makes very clear to us, it will boggle your mind. Listen, I've been walking with the Lord since 1964. It never ceased to boggle my mind. I pray God it never stops that I'm going to praise Him and bless Him for this paradox. And then when I, my eyes close in death, I will be doing the same thing for all of eternity. My beloved friends, this is the wonder of Christmas. This is really the wonder of Christmas. Not that cheap sentimentality about, you know, the miracles of the Christmas season and the spirit of Christmas and the power of Santa and ho, 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 Christmas cheers, you know. It's okay. I'm not going to get into it, so don't worry. But it's because God became man. And so that He may make men, women, boys, and girls who come to Him be children of God. Listen carefully, please. I'm aware of the fact, some of you, of course, also aware of the fact, that some find these biblical paradoxes offensive. They really do. They find them to be offensive. My Muslim friends would say, how in the world God can become a baby? Listen, God forbid that Allah becomes a baby. They, they're offended by it. <laughs> no wonder they cannot believe in the real Jesus. I've heard that from people in the mainland denominations. I heard this from people in the confessing church. And because they don't want to believe the real Jesus, the Jesus of the paradox, they invent a Jesus who agrees with them. <laughs> they make up a Jesus who would not contradict their lifestyle. They want a Jesus who agrees with them. Somebody said, God created man in his own image, in his likeness, and man on the 21st century is returning the favor. We are creating a God in our own image, in our likeness. We want a God that 
agrees with us, if he disagrees with us, my goodness gracious, I'm not going to believe in him. He's not going to lose anything. <laughs> if you believe in him and don't believe in him, it's, it's, you consider it a privilege that he's inviting you to come to him. It is a great honor. And it's not that you're accepting Jesus. <laughs> Jesus accepts you. The good news is he does, and he wants to accept some tonight. My prayer that God will open some spiritual eyes, whether you're watching around the world or right here in this sanctuary, that you comprehend the essence of these paradoxes of the Christian faith. Well, let me try one more time. Just see if I can get it this time. Maybe the fourth time is a charm or something. Not the third time, but this is the fourth time. I'm going to make it as clear as I know how. Jesus endured human birth so that he may give everyone who is a repentant sinner a spiritual birth. Jesus, who is God, the very God, occupied a stable so that every repentant sinner would occupy a mansion in the sky with God for all eternity. Jesus, who is God Almighty, powerful creator of the earth, had an earthly mother so that every repentant sinner may have a heavenly father. Jesus, who is the creator God, becomes subject so that every repentant sinner can be set free. Jesus, who owns the universe, became poor so that every repentant sinner can become spiritually rich. Jesus, the Almighty God, became hunted by King Herod so that every repentant sinner will be rescued from being hunted by Satan, sin and death. And my beloved friends, that is the paradox of Christmas. Did you get it? I think you got it this time. This is what the Christmas paradox is all about, about the incalculable cost, the incalculable price that God paid by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, why? So that whomsoever, whomsoever, whomsoever watching around the world, whomsoever, 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 whomsoever would come to Him and ask for His forgiveness can receive the real life. You know what I mean by the real life? You say, what is that real life? Listen to me. Members of this church know I've been around the world 66 times. I've preached in every corner of the globe. And I can tell you truthfully, most people, including some of my neighbors right here in Buckhead, they're not living, they're existing. You know people like that? They're just existing. Most people are just existing. So much so that a tiny little virus sent the whole world in a tailspin. Let me tell you something. I've experienced fear firsthand in the growing up in the Middle East. I've seen fear in the eyes of people. I have never seen more fear in the eyes of people because they're under the mask. You see their eyes. I've never seen more fear. And yet the Scripture said, for those of us who know Jesus, He has not given us a spirit of fear, but the spirit of love and self-control. Only those who have embraced the paradox of Christmas.
will truly know the peace and the joy and the contentment that the Prince of Peace can give you, and He can give it to you today. So you can live regardless of the circumstances. Look, circumstances come and go. Those of you who read my bio, I have been through a lot in life, and I'll probably go through some more. (laughs) You see, circumstances come and go, but the peace of God remains when you have and embrace the paradox of Christmas. Only those who have experienced the power of Christ's eternal forgiveness know what real life is all about not only here and now, but for all of eternity. They have the real life, whether they have abundance of material things or very little of it, and I've been on both sides. I was 19 years old when I landed in a strange country. I knew very few people, and my family could not send me any money. And I remember many a day I went without food. I didn't know where my next meal is coming from. Well, you can tell now that I haven't missed too many meals since. I've experienced both. Those who embrace the paradox of Christmas, whether they have many things or nothing, whether they have health or none of it, whether they have accepted or been accepted or rejected by society, whether they have been loved or hated by others, we live the true life because of the paradox of Christmas. Now, if you saw some of the headlines from around the world, literally, I, I follow the globe, and, and I read headlines from different countries, and I do that special service. I get it basically takes me two minutes. I don't have time to, to waste, but I, I like to catch the headline from around the world. If I did not know Jesus as my loving Savior, that He is with me now and forever and all to through eternity, I would be depressed at these headlines. I honestly would not want to wake up in the morning. I would stay in bed. 2020, a miserable Christmas. 2020, a bleak holiday time. Sometimes I think the world just lost its sanity. Do you know why? Because the world is losing the Savior, and they're placing their faith in other things. And as the power of the Holy Spirit departs our shores, make no mistake about it, panic, fear, horror will replace it. And now we associate Christmas with things, you know, no, 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 no. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, not even death. In fact, death is a gateway that takes us to the presence of God. I want to conclude by introducing to you three things that I pray to God you never forget. And if you're taking notes, write them down. And the reason I am saying these are three concluding remarks, because those of you who are members of this church, you're going to panic and say, uh-oh, he hasn't started his three-point sermon yet. <laughs> Don't panic. I'm coming toward the end. First of all, I want to tell you, do not judge by mere appearance. You got it on the line. If, you, if, if you're typing it down on your iPhone, iPad, wherever it is, just type it down. It's going to be on, all of them are going to be on the screen. Don't judge things by appearance. 
Certainly, we've been le learning this lesson of late, haven't we? We thought 19, at, at the year 2019 was just wonderful, and everything was just sailing through, and everything is just hunky-dory, and wham, we got hit by a tiny little virus. And we became captives in our homes. Those of us who have embraced the paradox of Christmas know that anything that impresses the world does not impress us. Anyone who caused the world to stand up in awe of them does not cause us to do that at all. Famous celebrities will attract paparazzis, but not us. Superstars will cause the weak to swoon over them, not us. If the paradox of Christmas teaches us anything, it teaches us that God hides His greatest gift in the poorest of packages. <laughs> he wrapped His Son in a manger. And so, the first thing is, don't judge by what? Now, come on. The people in the back actually know more than the people in the front. <laughs> don't, don't judge by what? What about you in the balcony? Are you awake? Judge by what? God bless you. I love you. Thank you. The second thing I don't want you ever, ever forget is that do not judge the end of things by their beginning. When I started this church, 28 people in a hotel, and everybody said, man, this is just not going anywhere. Well, here we are. Don't judge the end of things by their beginning. In fact, the Bible tells us that we should not despise the day of small things. This beginning of Jesus' earthly visit would never have made it in one of the national cable news. I promise you, that news would have been killed before it got to the producer's desk. But today, the whole world comes to a standstill at the birth of Jesus. How many of you know Augustus Caesar's birthday? Hello? And that is not even the near end yet. That's not even near, anywhere near the end yet. We're getting close, very, very close. <laughs> Wait until we get toward the end of things. Then you will see the whole world bows to Jesus. The whole world will fall at His feet. The whole world will recognize that He is God's only way of salvation. And sadly, it is going to be too late for some. Only God in heaven knows. I don't take joy in saying this. It breaks my heart. I wish I could have every friend and every neighbor and everybody I know to, to see that the day is coming when it's too late. When they will seek God and will not find Him, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but unfortunately and sadly, some are going to be doing that from the torment of hell and the suffering of eternity. 
at the end of times, which appears to be nearer, as I said, than ever before. The whole world will hear the angels and the saints singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory and praise. Ask yourself the question, where will you be when that takes place? Will you be with His children, celebrating, rejoicing? Or you bought into the lie, all religion will get you there, all the ways lead to God. That's the biggest lie from the pit of hell ever been perpetrated on the West. At the end of things, there's going to be no greater glory than that of Jesus, no higher name than the name of Jesus, no more brilliant splendor than the splendor of Jesus. Nothing in the whole universe shall compare with His surpassing majesty. Ah, but you would never see it judging from His beginning in the manger in Bethlehem of Judea. My dear friend, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you stand. I don't know where you emotionally, even physically I see you in front of me, but that's about all. But I want to tell you, some of you, I know that because I've been with people all my life, some of you right now are puzzled and even fearful. Some of you are disappointed right now and going through some disappointments in your life. Some of you may be perplexed and confused and, and, and wondering why these things are happening. Some of you may be disheartened right now. Please, please, don't judge the end by the beginning. Don't judge the end by? Don't judge the end by? Don't judge by appearance. Don't judge the end by the beginning. And thirdly, finally, this paradox of Christmas teaches us to make room for Jesus. I'm speaking to the believers now. Make room for Jesus by making room for others. Make room for them who are lost in their sin and desperate but don't know it. Make room for those suffering Christians. Make room for those persecuted. Make room for those who need a Savior and they don't know it. Make room in your time to witness for Him. Make room in your time to tell others that Jesus saves repentant sinners, that Jesus forgives repentant sinners, that Jesus loves repentant sinners, that Jesus welcomes repentant sinners, that Jesus restores repentant sinners, that Jesus fills empty hearts, that Jesus fills lonely lives, and Jesus mends broken hearts. And often, He does all of this using His children, His children. The saddest part thing for me to see so many believers, they sit on their blessed assurance to warm pews on Sundays, or they, now they're not, they're warming, their, they're warming their seat in front of the computer, even the churches. And not open. God says, hey, 
You don't want to worship on Sunday? That's fine. Now stay home. It's saddest day. Don't ever forget that we, the believers, every one of us, including your pastor, were once strangers and aliens from the commonwealth of God. Once we're at enmity with God. I remember, never forget the day that I shook my fist at God. I was at enmity with God. We were once cut off from the plan of God. We were once living in sin, marred with guilt. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin. But God used someone to tell us the good news. For me, that was a man that God used on Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1964. He told me about the amazing love of God and the open door, and I walked through it. I've never regretted, not one in my darkest moment, been the greatest joy of my life. I pray that God would use you who know Jesus and indifferent toward Him, because even we, the believers, are going to pay an, give an account of every idle word that we have spoken. Now it's our privilege to tell people about this unbelievable, indescribable, inexplicable love of God. Beloved, we cannot keep the good news to ourselves. Those days are over. So what about you? Let me take a moment and speak to the person here or watching around the world. If you have never really surrendered your life to Christ, if you say, well, I don't agree with God doing this and God is doing that, it would be like a kid in second grade goes to the headmaster, I don't like the fact you start school at 8 o'clock. God is God. And you and I are fortunate, are blessed out of our socks to be received by Him. And He's willing to receive you tonight if you would come to Him if you surrender to Him, if you acknowledge that He and He alone can eternally save you, walk with you, bless you, and assure you of eternal life. Will you do that as we pray? Let's pray together. Only God in heaven knows where everybody is. The, the, the Lord not only knows where we are emotionally, spiritually, morally, Physically, He even knows our thoughts before we think them. We are talking about the great mighty God, the Creator who made us and put us together, even in our mother's womb. And I'm going to leave it up to your individual privacy of your seat, wherever you are. You can say to him, Lord, I've heard this message before, and I did not respond to it. Today is the day that I receive you as my Savior, Lord, and Master, and experience your presence in me through the Holy Spirit. Today can be the day. It's your decision, and it's between you and God. Father, I thank you. There are no words to thank you or express our thankfulness for allowing us to know you, 
for accepting us and forgiving us. Even though we fall and stumble, we know that we are eternally forgiven. Father, I thank You for Jesus, that He left the splendor of heaven and came to earth, die on a cross, rise again, so that whosoever believe in Him. And we give You praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you…